Well, hello again, and um, we have an interesting topic today based along the lines of perceptions, right, and and what people that are totally insensitive and out of tune don't get about perceptions, right? Um, so here, here is my thing. And I know that people that are not black get easily offended by black people who are outspoken, right? They, they, they tend to say things like, are they never happy? Um, you know, what are they fussing about now? Um, you know, just all sorts of things, right? And I, I really wish that there was a moment in American history or time, and it, it was when I was a child, when I didn't really know any better and I was living through the, the lens of innocence. And, but now, as a caveat, I lived in a very segregated society. I didn't deal with white people. I, I, and I'm, I'm flipping a little bit because I want people to understand because I'm going I'm to say something about some perceptions and then I'm going to, you know, but I, I'm, I'm giving some backstory. So I grew up in Chicago. Chicago is sociologically one of the most segregated, if not the most segregated city in the United States. At least when I was growing up, white people, the only real white people were people that were from England, right? Anglo-Saxons, right? Other than that, Irish people didn't identify themselves as white. Scottish people didn't identify themselves as white. Polish people didn't identify themselves as white. As a matter of fact, Chicago is the second or third largest Polish city in the United States, in the world, as far as population. Um... You know, Jewish people identified by their faith and identified by their, their skin color, right? Um, and then even in the Latino community, you couldn't lump them all in. It was Dominicans and Cubans and Puerto Ricans and Hondurans and El Salvadorans, you know? Nobody, everybody had their own parade. Everybody. So that's why the Chicago Bud Billiken Parade it's the largest parade in the city every year because it's the black parade. And the and black Americans, especially those who came from the South, comprise the largest block of people in the city of Chicago. Um, when you segregate it by ethnic backgrounds, origins, all that stuff, right? If you just go by complexion, yeah, Chicago's majority white town. But if you go by skin color... I mean, by ethnicity, I should say, it's it's Chicago's is is a black city, right? So I grew up around black people. Period. I didn't I didn't go to school with white kids. I didn't shop with white people. I didn't go to banks where white people were in charge of the money. Do you, do you understand? I didn't have to deal with white people at all, except when I went to two things: sporting events. In downtown. Maybe Evergreen Plaza. But for the most part, if I went downtown, 
I ran into white people. And if I went to a sporting event, I ran into white people. That's it. I didn't have to deal with white people. I dealt, I didn't have to deal with white people until I got to college. And even then, I went to a historically black college. So my interaction with white people, was, outside of teachers, my interaction with white people was zero. Nada, nothing. So I didn't, I didn't have to deal with that, right? So my perspective has always been pro-black. I've always identified as being black, right? And and I had teachers and leaders in, in my community, the pastor, his the first lady of the church, uh, you know, precinct, whatever. These were people that were proud to be black people, and they never let you forget that you were black, right? And so coming from that background and having a desire to be in public service, to be in politics... My obligation was to always speak out on behalf of black people and to always be looking out for the best interests of black people. Even if it meant once I got elected politically, that wasn't the most popular or the most political thing to do. But my obligation has always been to look out for black people. And sometimes looking out for black people Black people don't appreciate that. History bears you out, but at that moment, there's sometimes when black people don't understand that you're fighting for them. And you have to take a stand, you have to define certain things. You have to break things down to folks, right? But if you're not willing to do that, then then you really shouldn't be engaged in in public policy and in, in public service and all that kind of stuff. Because black people need black people to speak out for black people, period. That's your first and major obligation. If you're an elected official and you're black, I don't care if you're the president of the United States, you got to look out for black people. And some people were critical about Barack Obama, but I'm, I'm telling you as somebody who's been in the process, Barack Obama was about as smooth as anybody in getting stuff done for black people, and black people didn't even know it. But that's a whole nother show for another day, right? So since we got in, delved into a perception just then, right, let's deal into some perceptions that happen. And I'm going to start with the soft one first because I'm really going to try to stay within time. And now I'm going to go to the hard one at the end, at the, in the second part. So the soft one is this dude, Mitch McConnell. Some of you may have heard of him. He is the senator from Kentucky, the senior senator. He also happens to be the majority leader of the United States Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell will be forever hated by black people um, for one thing, and that's he denied the black president, Barack Obama, he denied him a shot to put somebody on the Supreme Court. He denied that black man that opportunity. He said throughout the eight years that Barack Obama was president, his whole objective was to see him fail or or make him, you know, you know, challenge him on every every angle, right? You know, Jim DeMint actually said the words, we want to see him fail. Mitch McConnell stayed around to try to finish the mission, right? 
And so, uh, black people do not like Mitch McConnell. Not even in his home state of Kentucky. You, let me put it this way. There will always be a black face around people. <laughs> there will always be somebody that has a personal relationship, somebody that goes beyond politics. But if, if, if you put Mitch McConnell in a group of most liked or most hated by black people, he will fall on the most hated. Okay? So, and the reason why I'm doing all that is because Mitch McConnell seems to be in his feelings. Because he, he got upset because the mainstream media has really ripped in him about being, an, being obstinate. You know, he was obstinate when he had a Democratic president, right, and not trying to pass anything he wanted, including a Supreme Court appointee. But now that the House is Democratic again, he's sitting on every bill that they send open, including bills that dealt with gun violence. And now we've had this tragedy happen in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio. And, you know, and so there was, after Robert Mueller gave his hearing and testimony, in Congress, and he basically said that the Russia threat not only happened in 2016, but it's happening right this minute, and there are bills sitting on his desk, bipartisan bills, that would say, let's make sure that doesn't happen. He's sitting on that. So he has earned a hashtag called Moscow Mitch, and he's really, real upset at that. He has supported President Trump on, Trump on his, his immigration rhetoric. And he's married to an immigrant, Elaine Chow, who has been a Republican cabinet member for at least two presidents for sure. But she is a Chinese immigrant. I think she's first generation. And he has no sensitivity about that, right? So, you, for those who didn't know who this guy was, right? So now you laid it out there. So you wouldn't be surprised about the perception thing. So the Monday, the Monday after all the, literally, all the chaos has ended in El Paso and Dayton. And we're dealing with, now it turns out to be 31 deaths. At the time it was 29, right? Mitch McConnell posted on Twitter, on his Twitter account, a picture. Now, he was at the Can uh, the Kentucky Farm Bureau event. They had some kind of event, right? And it's obvious, from my experience dealing with the Farm Bureau people, they support Republican candidates, right? I mean, you know, I dealt with it in Mississippi with the Mississippi Farm Bureau, blah, blah, blah. The Farm Bureau federations pretty much are Republican organizations as far as who they support. That's fine. We'll, that's, that's just something that you have to deal with, right? Until leadership changes in organizations. So they were hosting this event. Of course, they're supporting Mitch. So two pictures have surfaced from this gala event. The first picture is right by their big trailer. And it is tombstones, right? And so it has, and on the tombstones it has socialism, New Green Deal, right? But then it started asking names, like the lady who ran against Mitch McConnell, right? Her name is on it. 
Now the lady that is supposed to be running against Mitch McConnell this time. McGrath, her name is on a tombstone. So that's a picture he posted on his Twitter feed. A, the Monday after 31 people were killed in two mass shootings 13 hours apart. He posted a picture of gravestones of his political opponents. And so this is not a guy who lives in a bubble, right? He's the majority leader of the United States Senate. He knew about the shootings probably not too long after the president knew. Or maybe before, because probably a staffer told him, hey, we got a situation. Right? But he posts that. And it gets better. So then the next picture that's posted is of a bunch of white men wearing Team Mitch t-shirts. And there's a cutout of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Obviously in a defiant moment. It looks like she's yelling at somebody. (laughs) And these white boys are choking and and grabbing. And it looked like they're literally molesting the cutout. Right? And, and, And they all got Team Mitch shirts on. Here's the deal. Mitch McConnell ain't apologized for none of that. He ain't said nothing. At least not that I know of. Now, he may have done it. And, you know, I don't sit around the TV, unfortunately, or look at my cell phone 24 hours a day to keep up with updates. So as I'm recording this, he hadn't said Jack. He hadn't apologized. He hadn't denounced. He hadn't done nothing. Right? Now, AOC has responded, of course. And she has basically made Mitch McConnell, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, don't even walk on the same side of the sidewalk. About but Mitch McConnell has said nothing. Here, here, so here's the deal, Mitch, Senator. Um, that is, that is, that's one of those Beto O'Rourke WTF questions. What, where are, what are you thinking right now? Are you thinking? Who is your staff person that is over your Twitter account? That person needs to be fired. Like, 24 hours ago. Um, if you don't have control over who's handling your, your social media, you need to get it. Because right now you look like a total jerk. You look like a total asshole. You look like a total um, insensitive dude. I, I just, I don't understand why you think that's okay. And you're going to have your apologists, you know, your Bill Mitchells and your Larry Elders and 
I don't know. You you got y'all got people from all different ethnic groups, and I think that's a great job that y'all have that. Apologizing for your actions, but their apologies are like it's the media's fault. You know, there there are apologists and there are people who apologize, right? And so these people are finding excuses for you. Meanwhile, excuse me. You have no regret, no remorse for any of this stuff. So when people criticize you, it is because of this kind of stuff that's out there that is warranted. And if you're going to get on the Senate floor and condemn the media for attacking you, I suggest that wherever you've hid the mirrors in your house, you need to put them back up and you need to look at them. Because the biggest person that has created all this problem for you is you. And Senator McConnell, Majority Leader McConnell, whatever title you want me to give you, here's something I want you to do. Here's a title I want you to take on. I want you to be a man. Not an American. Not a, not a, not a statesman. Just a man. Man up and admit that you've made a mistake on your Twitter account and you're going to fix it and it'll never happen again. Now I know you won't do it, but at least I put it out there and we'll see what happens. See you on the other side. All right, so the other thing I want to talk about, and it's probably going to be as long as the last segment, um, is dealing with um, a situation that also happened that was uh, revealed Monday that got kind of buried under all the headlines what happened with El Paso and Dayton uh, in Galveston, Texas, right? So this went viral, and let me just let white people know something, right? And when I say white people, I mean white people that support Donald Trump and think that this kind of hateful rhetoric, this kind of conservative mindset that y'all have uh, is okay, and that black people are these tacit, quiet folks that don't pay attention to anything, right? (laughs) Black people pay attention to everything. Some things they vociferously react to, some things they violently react to, and some things they just kind of say, that's white folks, that's what they do. This falls under that category. This one, the, the latter part. That this is just what we expect white folks to do. We don't have any hope that they'll be any better. So in Galveston, Texas, a black man named Donald Neely, who was around in his 40s, was arrested for trespassing on 22nd Street. You would say, well, Eric, what's the big deal about that? He was arrested by two Galveston mounted police officers. So mounted police officers, yes, they were on horses when they arrested this guy. Okay, again, not a big deal. 
And it wouldn't have been if they had just arrested Mr. Neely, waited for transport to come pick him up at that 22nd Street address and uh, and been on their way with their patrol, right? But they didn't do that. And according to the police statement, there was some familiarity with the suspect, right? This young man has had some issues with trespassing before. Uh, he was very familiar with the Galveston Police Department. They're familiar with him. He's familiar with them. Um, his family, in responding to what we're going to talk about, highlighted that they've been frustrated because they know that he suffers from mental illness. There's really nothing they can do about it to help him, right? Um, so anyway, these police officers decided that not only were they going to arrest Mr. Neely, they put him in handcuffs, which is procedure, right? But then there's a procedure that I guess dates back to the Wild Wild West days. And it's a it's still standard procedure, I guess, for mounted police officers. Now, it said, it's said that it's dealt with with crowd control situations, right? You know, if you're in the middle of a big party, a big event, and you're trying to contain people, make sure people don't run off in the crowd or whatever, you use this technique. But in a situation where you got a guy who was caught trespassing, it's not a good idea to do. So what they did was they decided that they were going to go back to the staging area where the mounted police officers meet up, right, where they normally start their patrol. They decided they were going to do that. So they were going to walk Mr. Neely down the street from where he was arrested for trespassing to the staging area. I don't know Galveston. I haven't been there, but I'm guessing it's a few, few blocks, right? It's not right around the corner. And so in the process of walking him with the handcuffs to make sure that he's going along with them, they tied a some kind of line to the handcuffs and it's attached to one of the officers on on the horse so that you know if he tries to run i guess you know the line will bring him down or the officer will be able to pull him or whatever right so just imagine now we're this is 2019 and you see a guy, a black man, walking in between two white police officers with cowboy hats on, on horses, walking down a public street. What is, what is the perception that you would have about that? As a white person, and then as a black person. What, 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 what perception would you have of that? Right. Because black white people tend to not understand why black people get upset about imagery in certain things. Right. 
So I just want you to imagine that. I want you to imagine, if you have not seen the picture, it's out on the internet. It's been out a few days. They haven't taken it down. Right? So, you got these two white men on horses and cowboy hats marching this black man down the city street publicly with a chain attached to him. And it's like, for those of us who have these images of, of roots, <laughs> right? The show. That was like an image from the show when they caught Kunta Kinte, right? They got the men on the horses and Kunta's walking in chains back to the plantation. Nobody saw that the, those two police officers didn't see the visual in that. They didn't understand that was happening. But then you say, well, we don't really need all this racial sensitivity training and blah, blah. It's like, yeah, you do. Because if you didn't understand how that looked, right? Tell you a quick story. Quick story. So I was was working for Ronnie Musgrove. Running for, he was running for lieutenant governor at the time. And uh, we were at the Delta Blues Festival. I was coordinating that. I had pretty much gone there in advance. I was doing the staging, all the advance work, and had had lined up people, had people wearing the stickers, whole nine yards, right? So Senator Musgrove, at the time he was state senator, he arrives, and we're getting ready to, um, you know, go around the parade and all this stuff. I mean, uh, the, the festival. And and so I had an umbrella, right? Because it was threatening to rain. It kind of drizzled a little bit, but I had an umbrella. And my what I was going to do was to hold an umbrella over him and walk around, and you know he shake hands and all that kind of stuff, right? And so it was a lady who was the secretary for the district attorney in that area, white lady. And we were just getting started, and she saw me with the umbrella, and she pulled me aside really, really quick. She said, Eric, come here, come here, come here. And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm getting ready to walk Senator Musgrove around the, the, the Blues Festival, you know. She said, you're going to hold that umbrella over him? And I said, yeah, because I'm, you know, just try to, so he won't get too hot. You know, if it rains, he won't get wet. You know what I'm saying? She says, I want you to think about that image for a minute. It's a white woman. We were in the Mississippi Delta now. It was a white woman. She said, she asked me, she said, you need to think about that image for a minute. And when I thought about it, I said, huh. And so I said, hold that umbrella for me. She said, okay. Because she understood the power of that imagery. She thought that that would make Musgrove look like some kind of old genteel cavalier plantation owner. Here's your little lackey black person keeping you from the sun, sir, so you won't get hot, sir, and all this kind of stuff. You trying to get black people to vote for this guy. She caught me in a moment and said, hey, that, that's a bad look, Right? 
So I throw that story to tell you. There are white people that get it. <laughs> there are white people that understand, right? And it's probably more than not, right? But there seems to be a lot of white people, at least now, that don't get it. And so getting back to these officers in Galveston, they didn't get it. That, they didn't understand how terrible, how frightening, how, how throwback is that look, especially in the climate we're in now, with the president that we have now. Now, maybe you really dig deep into these guys, they probably down with that kind of stuff, right? They probably down with it. They probably got some tendencies. But I'm kind of hoping that they're not those type of people. I'm just kind of hoping that they had a foobar moment. If you don't know what foobar is, look it up. <laughs> but they had a, they had a, they had that moment. And they didn't realize how that looked until they started getting that backlash. Now, when the chief saw the picture, he immediately understood. And he started walking that back really quick and saying, yeah, we're not going to use this technique no more. These guys, they weren't trying to do that. They didn't understand. They did blah, blah, blah. We, you know, this is not what we... But, of course, black people kind of like, eh, they ain't saying nothing about any discipline to the officers. They ain't saying nothing about firing them. So, yeah, whatever. I told people, I, I had the privilege of being a sergeant. I'd be in a shift supervisor when I was a deputy sheriff at one time. And it's like, those guys would have been doing desk duty at least for a week till they understood. And if they, if they had a problem with that, you can get your FOP guy to talk to me. Make sure you get the whitest one because I'd hate to embarrass the black one. So make sure you get the whitest one to try to defend why I shouldn't put you on desk duty for, for a week. Right? I mean, we're going to have these moments, okay? I, I'm going to be real. We're going to have these moments. And in a different time, we, we, we may not be as sensitive, right? But just yesterday, my appeal to the masses is, is that we have to create a different atmosphere, right? We, we've got to tone down on the rhetoric. We've got to tone down on the imagery, right? We've got, we got to stop all that. We've got to be really, really on point from this point forward, right? Because it's, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. This goes back to the first segment with Mitch McConnell. Look, man, you got to understand you are a leader in a country. Now, if your vision of the country is white as snow, first of all, it's the wrong country to be in. Second of all, that might explain why you're, you're tone deaf to things that offend people. Policies, statements, images, whatever, right? But, Somebody has got to step up and say, hey, don't do that. Hey, don't say that. And if there are people that are actually doing it and they're getting fired because of that, which 
there's a lot of suspicion in the Trump administration that's what's going on, right? I, you know, I commend y'all for trying. You, you know, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? That's the whole thing, right? You can try. And we commend all those behind the scenes who are trying to make this thing work, this democracy work. But for the leaders, you have got to step up your game. You really, really have to be in tune with what's happening. If you are not, if you're not capable of doing it, if you think what I'm saying is just absolutely crazy, if you think what other black people are saying or feeling is absolutely crazy, then you don't need to be in leadership right now. In a time where Americans can kind of let some stuff slide, you can come back. But right now, we need people who are sensitive to what's going on on both sides. We need people to pay attention to what's being said. We need people to pay attention to what's being projected. Right? We need people that get it right now. We, we, don't, we don't have the luxury of not getting it anymore. Because, again, the tensions are building. If they haven't been built up already, they are building. And it's not going to be pretty in this day and age if they boil over. And we have seen glimpses of that, right? We, my friend Larry Elder is trying to blame Barack Obama for police officers getting killed, right? As stupid as that is, here's reality. Police officers did get killed. Black people, there were some black people that were that just mad. One dude walked up to a squad car in New York and just shot two police officers sitting in the car. So it's like the boil over is, is starting to happen. It's been happening. And instead of having leaders trying to turn the temperature down, they feel that they got to turn it up so they can get reelected. That's insane. Who wants to be in charge of a country that's divided? Who wants that job? Sick people do. People that don't get it. And, 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 and at some point, the American people have to decide, hey, do you really want to be engaged in a civil war right now? Do you really want, can you envision Appomattox in your neighborhood again? Can you envision Gettysburg in your neighborhood? Can you envision Antietam in your neighborhood? Right? If you don't envision that, if you don't want that to happen, then, then you have to contribute to it too. Right? You have to make sure that people that are in positions of power understand that you're not happy with the direction we're going. And we got to fix it. Now, you know, the economy doing well is supposed to fix everything. Well, the president says the economy is doing well. It's not fixing everything. And he knows that. And that's why he's using this divisive rhetoric to stir up his supporters to make sure they show up and vote. And he's hoping that the dismay would discourage people that don't support him not to vote. All I, all I can ask people to do is to vote. And I pray that when they do vote, 
They vote for people that get it, that understand that a divided nation is not what we need. Not now. Until next time.